Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich, co-founder of Abracci Group and co-host of The Breakout. Before we get into the show, we wanted to let you know about our new contest. We're giving away a pair of Apple AirPods Pro, and all you have to do is subscribe to The Breakout and leave us a review. We need your support. Subscribers, reviews, and ratings help us reach more people who just might need these stories. Check out this episode's show notes for how to enter. Okay, now on to the show. We default into wanting to convince people about the rightness and maybe even the righteousness of our point of view. That's Carol Bowser, a former employment lawyer turned workplace conflict expert. I like to say that I help people break out of the sucking vortex of pissed off. After years of practicing law, Carol found herself less interested in legal work and much more drawn to mediation. She realized that conflict and breaking it down was her real passion. On this episode, Carol shares why conflict happens in the first place, how it can restrict who we are, and the ways that dealing with it head on can set us free. A little bit of self-reflection about what's important to me, what do I value, how do I feel as a human being. Important stuff, whether it's in interpersonal relationships or running a business or just your own relationship with yourself. Welcome to The Breakout, a show about smashing through life's little boxes and forging your own path. I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. And I'm Kelly Gunther. Carrie and I are people and change experts and best friends. We've spent more than 25 years helping organizations navigate change and get the best out of their people. Come on, we know change is hard, but staying the same can even be harder. On The Breakout, we prove that you can escape expectations, and best of all, we show you how. Welcome, Carol. We're so excited because no one has conflict, so I'm not quite sure what we'll talk about, Carol, with you. I don't know. Favorite (laughs) recipes, favorite cocktails. Yeah. There we go. We could talk about reality shows. I know you like reality shows. I do love reality shows because it's Uh, so (laughs) lovely and delicious sitting in judgment on other people. I love watching about the complete lack of conflict resolution skills and the overall lack of kind of empathy that people have, which is one of the great things I love talking to people about um, who are in conflict of like, let's kind of look at what your conflict behaviors are. I love reality because it's the best scripted show on television, how scripted that stuff is to to gin up the the conflict. Kelly and I often say, are you going to flip a table on that? (laughs) Calling back to the beautiful episode of The Real Housewives of Jersey. Yes, Yes. flipping a table. Yes, flipping mm -hmm. a table. All good conflict. So why don't you tell us what it is that you help people break out of. I like to say that I help people break out of the sucking vortex of pissed off. And also just kind of being able to break out of maybe default behaviors they have in and around conflict. And I really want people to not be overtaken by their approach to conflicts, meaning that they're kind of in the passenger seat versus the driver's seat. And I would like for them to move through conversations that feel more substantive, more productive, and maybe even less scary. I love that. Why did you get into conflict and start a business helping 
people effectively deal with conflict? Well, because it's a lot more fun than practicing employment law. And going back to like, there's always an origin story that um, I had some employment experiences where I thought, you know, where do you learn about rights and responsibilities in the employment relationship? And like, well, you go to law school and, you know, lo and behold, I find out that law school has little to do with what I thought it had to do. But what I really found impactful was hearing people's stories and me being able to ask the questions of what, you know, what is it you want to have happen? And so what I really loved was that learning about people's stories and helping them build their conflict resolution skills. Because we spend so much of our time and our life energy at work, that that would be a lot more impactful. And that's where I really enjoy being and having people say, you know, this makes a difference or they have those aha moments. And it's really special to be um, with people when that happens. Oh, I love that, Carol. And I I think we could also have a podcast on reformed lawyers. (laughs) Because I know quite a few lawyers who are like, I went to law school and then said, Ugh. Yeah. So that's that's the official lawyer term for you too, Ugh, Carol. But yeah, that's that's a whole nother podcast. It absolutely is, and I think it goes precisely to what were your expectations and were your expectations yes. in line with reality? And don't we see that in a lot of different, you know, whether it's a culture or a particular profession of like what I thought it was going to be and how I thought I was going to be satisfied, it doesn't align. So I suppose that's one thing I also look for is like, is there alignment not only in the assumptions, but also about how those, the behaviors that are associated with that. I have a background way back in the day of a little bit of conflict resolution. And I often said, I like to avoid conflict, meaning I don't want to get to the point where we actually have it. I would love to be a better communicator, better listener, and then you don't have it as much. And wouldn't that be great? Yeah, exactly. I had a client who had told me something really remarkable. She said, I really don't like conflict and I like to avoid it. And because I don't like it and like to avoid it, I jump in and I have the conversations early. And I thought, isn't that really kind of fascinating? Like how many of us actually recognize that opportunity and lead into it and say, I want to be able to address this now. As I often say, we're not going to be conflict free, but we want the amplitude and the duration and the intensity of those conversations to be smaller. So her strategy was first to be able to recognize, hey, I'm feeling uncomfortable here, or I'm seeing something that goes on, and that should be a little bit of a signal of, oh, I need to be curious about that, and I should address it. So that way, the intensity, the duration, and the amplitude of it are fewer and far between. So we don't get into those table-flipping moments. I love that. My uh, husband, I don't know if this is good or bad for him, but I will say to him, I can see this is going to be a conflict soon. So I'm going to tell you how I'm feeling so we cannot have a conflict. So for example, for my birthday, I these are my expectations. I don't want it to be a conflict. So let's talk about it early and before it becomes an issue. Yeah. And Carrie, you bring up, I kind of going back to the theme of, you know, breaking out. First, you kind of have to recognize where you are in order to quote unquote break out and and make changes. And I often say with people that there are kind of three things that are universal in any type of tension or conflict 
or disappointment. And I think in order to kind of break out with your life, with your business, with other type of relationships, if you kind of look at a lens about these three things, and then also maybe make some educated guesses about what these three things are going on with other people. So first, an element of unmet. So if we think about your conversation with your husband, you're actually articulating, these are my expectations or these are my hopes of what this would look like, what this would feel like. And then oftentimes that is built on a set of assumptions, assumptions about how you think or others think that people should behave, about how the world should work, about what birthdays should be celebrated like, what your specific, very personalized birthday should be celebrated like with someone who you are in a long-standing intimate relationship with. So that unmet expectations built on oftentimes what are assumptions that are often unarticulated. And then at the base of that is people's core values. So if any point in time there is a conflict or tension or disappointment, chances are we felt a core value wasn't honored or met or um, might be threatened in some way. So, you know, going back to our conversations before about the real housewives fill in the scripted thing, you hear about them sitting in judgment of other people, of saying what other people could be doing, or isn't it just obvious, or this isn't like this. But they never get down to like what's really, you know, kind of important. They don't have kind of heart-to-heart conversations. And I think also about any of that scripted stuff, you know, kind of a little bit of self-reflection about what's important to me, what do I value, how do I feel as a human being. Important stuff, whether it's in interpersonal relationships or running a business or just your own relationship with yourself. Wouldn't the world be nicer if we kind of told each other our expectations? At least I think that when I tell my husband exactly what I expect. And then if he doesn't meet it, I'm like, dude, I told you exactly what I'm expecting. (laughs) But there's something about that clarity of this is what I expect. That is not a demanding thing. That is just laid on the line. This is what I expect. Now, I think, I don't know about you, Kyle, but I think as females, if we say this is what we expect, ooh, she a bitch. Whereas men do it all the time. I don't know. I don't know if you see that. I, I feel like we say expectations and we're demanding bitches. Well, we're supposed to smile all the time too. So, oh, that's I right. mean, there's that as yeah. well. And If you're someone who, like myself, I'm not overly assertive, so it's hard for me to tell how I feel because I'm a bit fearful of how the other person could react and I'm trying to control the situation and it throws all of that out the window. So I think what she speaks so well about is where are you looking to come from in the conflict? Where you, what is the place you're coming from? Aside from unmet expectations, Carol told us that not feeling honored or respected can play a huge part in conflict. I remember doing some conflict resolution in a high school, and so many of the kids would say, you disrespected me, or that wasn't respectful. And it was always, well, what does that even mean? And I was like, well, he didn't say hi, or he didn't look at me the right way. Like it was, to us as adults, it was seemed kind of ridiculous, but not to a teenager, and that when respect is a big deal. So that respect and understanding what that is is so important. 
And it's no different in the workplace. I mean, it's one of the things of, you know, being able to say like what respect or what feeling seen and feeling acknowledged looks like. And the, well, do I have, you wouldn't believe how many times I've had to kind of tackle the question with people of, well, do I have to say hi to everybody every time I come in? You know, that would just a little bit be ridiculous. So it goes to, you know, behavior of for them saying hi or looking at you is acknowledging. And that's, I think, one of the things that, that, we're, that we're looking for, but different people put different emphasis on different behaviors. And notice how quickly it is that we jump to judgment versus starting from kind of a sense of curiosity. Carol, we you already talked about kind of why some people have the conflict in the first place. You've mentioned that there's a narrative that we make up about ourselves and others that contribute to the conflict. So why does that happen and how do you tackle that? Well, I think it just happens because it's kind of the way our brains work. I, I, I mean, to your point of having to sit back and analyze every single thing for every single person, it's exhausting. Um, and a lot of the times, you know, things work. Things are kind of copacetic. We're not putting undue emphasis on certain things. But other times, stuff just hits us really hard. And my work is in the workplace. And the workplace is huge because we spend so much of our time and so much of our energy there. For a lot of people, it's where we are challenged. For some people, you may have less autonomy or power or influence or control. And so it makes for a really tough situation. So what I like to have people do is just trying to have conversations about, you know, what's important, what does respect look like to you, what does support look like to you? And I love that question, what does it look like to you? Because you're getting people to describe behaviors that they think are symbolically significant. And so, you know, when things are kind of copacetic, we kind of go along, it's not a big deal until it's kind of a slow, annoying big deal, and then it becomes a big deal. So what I try to do is get people just to kind of stop and notice, you know, how's this coming across? Are we taking a little bit of time to really kind of build some relationships from a point of, you know, curiosity and hopefully through showing curiosity and a bit of empathy that we're signaling to people like, hey, I'm curious, being able to specifically invite and therefore give people permission to say, come and talk to me. And I'm also going to come and talk to you. In some of your work, you've said that more communication is not always the answer in conflict. And I think that's that's a good upside down paradigm for people because usually it's you communicate, communicate, communicate. And you're saying, eh, not always. Exactly. When I was, um, oftentimes when I'm mediating with, uh, with people, I'll say like, communication is good. However, we want productive communication. So blaming and shaming and kind of name calling, that's not necessarily very good. We want this to be productive. The other thing I find is that people want to convince. And I think there's something like in the American culture where we think like, well, if we just give people more information, because 
I am rational and uh, I just need to explain and provide more information so that way, of course, they will agree with me. And if they don't agree with me, I'm just going to tell them how they're stupid. So we default into wanting to convince people about the rightness and maybe even the righteousness of our point of view. And, you know, and it really doesn't work for religion. It really doesn't work for politics. <laughs> but being able to say, hey, this is why I think this is significant, that's something you know, important versus am I trying to convince other people to come to my point of view or is it that I just really kind of want to be seen and I want to be acknowledged? Because those are two different things. And I think that's kind of where we get in the way of communication. And frankly, if I don't feel as though I'm being heard, then I'm going to talk to more people with more frequency and ever increasing levels of intensity. So that's another reason why, you know, more communication, not so great, because maybe yeah. you're talking to the wrong person in the wrong modality. The breakout comes to you from Abrachi Group. We offer coaching and consulting to help you dig into change. Here's what we know. Only about 10% of us are really self-aware, but 90% of us think we are. Without self-awareness, improvement is tough because if you don't know what box you're in, you can't break out of it. That's where we come in. We've got a soft spot for people itching to forge a fresh path. The high flyers who need to be nudged out of career ruts. Teams who are looking to become more aligned, and yes, even those bold souls who've occasionally worn the jerk badge. Connect with us at abracigroup.com. Carol, you mentioned the convincing. I've never done that to Kelly. Keep giving her more data and more data. I don't know if you could see me, Kelly. I was looking at you like you know she's talking about me right now. Kelly and I talk a lot about why we're thinking this way and the expectations. So Kelly will have an expectation of, I think this should be really detailed. And I'm like, that wasn't my expectation. So we try to use those words instead of making it personal. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done a lot of work on that because Kelly and I talk all day long and we're with each other and we could have lots of conflicts if we didn't figure out a way to talk to each other. But what do you think, Kel? We also, one of the things that we use is in ass assessments to help create some self-awareness and help people learn more about themselves through the process. Because the more I know about myself and how I'm wired and my personality, the more I can prepare others for working with me. So if I'm really detail-oriented and I know that Carrie isn't as detail-oriented, and therefore, if I gave her a litany or a laundry list of all the things I'm looking for, she'll be like, ugh. And if I came at her with that information in every email, all day long, every day, 365 days a year, we probably wouldn't be business partners. But the fact that we have a good cadence and rhythm and we know that about each other, it does help to sift out a lot of the conflict that I think we would naturally have. So I wonder if how you create sort of solutions that are sustainable for clients that you work with so that you have a relationship as, as wonderful as Carrie and I, that the two of us have <laughs> as, as models, just kidding. I wonder if you have um, advice or, or suggestions or, or how you've handled that in the past. So it's always challenging because conflict resolution skills, like any skill set, it's 
perishable, that unless you are using it and you're kind of wiring your brain to be able to say, okay, well, this is the kind of paradigm I'm going to go through. This is maybe the checklist I'm going to go through. So that way it goes from skill you pick up every now and then, but maybe don't really remember more to a habit. That can be great. The other thing I share with my clients is you for it to be really sustainable, it needs to be obvious that you're doing it. And if you can even articulate saying, hey, the reason why I'm asking this question is because I really want to uncover what your expectations are. The reason I'm doing this is because I find, and Kelly, I'm going to go to one of the things that you had said is like the level of detail I want. I was listening for that and I said, oh, her brain works differently than mine does. And also what her professional training does says that these particular details in these particular order, in this particular priority, allows her to feel comfortable and confident in how she executes her work. So it's like, well, what do they need to feel successful at work based on their professional training and how their brain works? So I start asking questions like that. So that way it goes from perishable skill to habit. And then you uh, pass that on to people. Again, going back to like, can you be the guide of a conversation, the guide to a breakthrough? And then the other thing that I try to do is give a little bit of language. So again, Kelly, I'll go back to that. Oh, I think maybe you and Carrie have different risk tolerances that Carrie with like a different structure is like, hey, I'm comfortable in this ambiguity. This is a level of risk that I can thrive in. And Kelly, I see you nodding and smiling and you're like, that would freak me out. So that's kind of another thing of when people have these little aha moments of what you're actually having is a risk tolerance conversation versus a you need to give me more details conversation. Then it's, again, it's recognizing and saying, oh, okay, so what kind of detail does our professional training tell us we should be having? And then how can this work for us working together? Because I'd be willing to bet if you guys have notes of conversations, Kelly's notes look very different than Carrie's notes, but that's your individual work product that allows you to come together to come up with a final work product. So you make it obvious, you go from perishable to sustainable, and then you reframe the conversation so that way you're using it again and again and again. Because like most consultants, I'm a short-term gig. I'm trying to get people to have insights and take tools that are relevant and accessible so that way it becomes a different way of doing things. I think that's the long-term success. You know, it's funny. There's so many things that I wouldn't consider conflict, like ideas. So for me, if Kelly and I are kind of debating ideas, I don't even know if I'd label that a conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like, oh, good, that's an idea. Oh, I don't like that idea. What do you think of this idea? Oh, you don't like this idea. And so what's interesting is at work, that will create giant conflicts Mm -hmm. because they don't trust each other. But I don't know, Kelly, do you feel like when we brainstorm and stuff, is that conflict for you? Mm -mm. No, yeah, not at all. Because it is just free-flowing ideas, may not agree yeah. with them. And usually my face will show it. So you be like, no, never mind, forget it. Because <laughs> I don't give true. good face. So. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I do appreciate that if you have safety, if you feel safe with a person, 
like my bestie Kelly, then you Mm. can bring up anything. Mm -hmm. Then I can say to Kelly, like, oh, I really was hurt by that, which happens once a year. And that's probably it. Then we get out of our system and then we're done for the year. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But but that's, and I, I will tell you, I personally don't have that with a lot of people. So the fact that I can do that with Kelly, because I don't like conflict, that's why I avoid it so much. Mm-hmm. That's why I plan things. That's why I tell you my expectations. That's why I, because I really don't want it. I don't want to be in an argument with you. I don't want hurt feelings. I don't want any of that. So that's why I plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Or we just cut you out of your, our lives. So that's it, you know? How do you measure the success overall then when you do your interventions on conflict resolution? How do you measure whether something has been successful and whether you think it has the capacity to go the distance? Back in my mediation training and when I train mediators and when I'm working with clients, I kind of look at three different elements. In mediation training, we called it elements of a durable agreement. But if you look at it, it's three different things. Did people feel as though the process was equitable, meaning that in some way that the process was fair and met their needs, kind of that that they had the opportunity to share what was important to them? Then I also look at like substantively, like if we could look at something tangible, something concrete that they wanted, a goal that they wanted to achieve, that they could say, yes, we did achieve that to some degree. And interestingly enough, in working with groups, everybody has a slightly different goal. Somebody says, hey, I just want this to be done with. I I want us to be more efficient. Someone else is like, I want us to be more emotive and empathetic. And someone is, I just want this behind us. I don't want to do this anymore. So in a process, thinking of what like the individual goals of people might be, and whether or not they're concrete or they're procedural, or um, they're just an emotional goal of how did this feel for me? What was my substantive experience? Do I feel heard? Do I feel empathetic? Do I feel supported? And I look at those types of things, those three different things, and to what level is each person needing some of that? And what what level am I needing that as well? I'm working with a group right now, talk about breaking out, where there was something that happened and there was an investigation. And the people, they had very different expectations of what the organization could be or should be doing through the investigative process and then what happens afterward to kind of take a whole person approach. And if you know anything about the workplace, you're normally it's not a whole person type of workplace when we're investigating if there was a violation of policy. It's backward looking. Was there a violation of policy? Was there behaviors? What kind of remedial efforts do we have to make sure there's not a violation of policy? Again, they're not necessarily interested in this kind of whole person. And so here's a little takeaway. All of it was a big bleh. They just didn't didn't like it. So when I am working with clients or even on my own, I kind of use that of like, what did I want from the process? Did I feel it was fair and well thought out? Did I feel that the process supported the tangible goals? And like overall, do I feel as though I've worked through the emotional part of this so much so that I can move forward without it, again, kind of being a second vortex of negative emotion? So those are some things that I try to be able to have people articulate because if not, they just have the sense of something was missing, something was incomplete. And that as a kind of a consultant coming in, that doesn't feel good to me. And it certainly doesn't feel good to them either. Absolutely. 
because every situation is different. You walk in assuming one thing based on the information that you're hearing. And as Carrie and I well know, um, as a consultant, uh, it turns sometimes into a, a very different proposition altogether. So I would expect that that happens in your line of work as well. It absolutely does. And um, it happens, you know, as a consultant, it, used, it would happen as a mediator that once you think, oh, I got this, I got it. Mm-hmm. It's like that <laughs> almost that hubris boxes you in because it's like a, there's confidence and then there's a little bit of hu- hubris where you think you've got it all figured out and you maybe kind of dial down the curiosity. And that's where you might be taken off guard and then you're a little bit flat footed over it and like, yeah, God, mm, what happened with that? Difficult. It happens, though. Yeah, it it certainly does to the best of us. So, Carol, if you only have one minute with someone stuck in conflict and they need to break out of it, what do you tell them? Um, I'll go back to, uh, this is a question I always ask when I was a mediator for the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. I would always start with the person who brought the complaint about harassment, discrimination, retaliation. And I would always start of like, tell me about how you expected the employer or tell me about how you expected the other person to react or tell me how you expected the client to react. Tell me how you expected the vendor to react. So then I'm getting them to define that unmet expectation. And If they're saying, you know, well, it's about respect, it's about good communication, it's about um, not micromanaging, I would always say, well, tell me a little bit more about what you're labeling micromanaging or you're labeling poor customer service or whatever it is, because you're getting people to take this vague kind of, it's out in the ether, everybody should just understand to being able to reflect on it and articulate it and then prioritize it because it's like a transparent dangling carrot. If you can't define it, it really makes other people helpless to try to problem solve if we can't even articulate what a portion, if not the whole problem is. Thank you so much, Carol, for being able to walk us through how you approach conflict, how you your very methodical process, the intuitive approach that you take. I've learned quite a bit through the process that you've walked us through. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Carol. And I love the transparent dangling carrot. <laughs> I'm going to think about that one when people are saying disrespect. It's a transparent dangling carrot at this point. We don't know what that means. So thank you, Carol, for that. I appreciate that. A little nod to, I think it was to Alanis Morissette that I poached that from, but there you go. (laughs) Really? I gotta do more research. Transparent dangling carrot. Thank you, Alanis, for so much that you've given us. (laughs) That was Carol Bowser, founder of Conflict Management Strategies. And this is The Breakout from Abracci Group. At Abracci Group, we specialize in coaching and consulting for brave new directions. Connect with us at abracigroup.com. And don't forget to subscribe to The Breakout so you never miss a new episode. And make sure you're following us on Instagram at The Breakout Pod. I'm Kelly Gunther. And I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. See you next time. 